0: Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream Thanksgiving Eve edition. Episode number 200 not prime divisible by 150, 25, 20, 10, 8, 5, 4, 2 and 1 if I am correct.
1: You just did that in your in your head right before we came on.
0: I did. I'm proud of myself. It's not a difficult problem, but I I think I nailed all the factors.
1: I don't know. I haven't thought about it.
0: All right. Well,
1: yeah. Uh, 1, 20, 100. Mm, maybe.
0: I think it is. Um <laughs> let's put it this way. If it's not, yeah. we will know shortly after the podcast ends and our next live stream I will deliver not only a correction but an apology.
1: An apology. And who in this case will the apology be to?
0: uh to mathematics and everything that depends upon it
1: wow yep. global apology a coming. global apo- a universal yep. apology mm-hmm. i would say indeed yeah all right number 200 it's big wow 200 who thought wild i didn't like of episodes. that it does it yeah. does okay so join us on rumble if you're uh if you're watching live and uh if you're watching live also join us on locals for the watch party um We have lots of stuff going on at Locals. We have our private Q and A this Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific. We've got um, early release of guest episodes of Dark Horse, AMAs sometimes. Got the Discord available there, so please join us there. Uh, We are going to be talking today about equity in infant care.
0: That sounds like something important that we should all be interested in fostering. It's not, but infant. Equity foster care. That's oh. what I'm thinking.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we will get there soon. Um, workplace toxicity.
0: Workplace toxicity. You're talking about the off-gassing of workplace furniture. Is that... Uh... God, I wish I was, oh. actually. <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs> kind of. Oh, yes.
2: Uh, 40. You missed 40.
1: Nice. Whoa. Five. Ouch. Five All by right. 40. Mm-hmm. i will that wasn't as, even
0: me you can imagine who that was you yes you yeah. can imagine i will um i will need to prepare my uh my correction and apologies so that's still going to take time
1: so it seems to me that a simple turn, turn your page back so i can see your factors yeah um you could have just counted the number of factors you had and if you had an uneven number uh it seems here's to me the thing that i that, did it in
0: such a rush yeah. that in matching up the factors i missed one
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah all right all right um
0: it is what it is. It happens. You know, the thing is, we we don't like to have to make such admissions, but it is far better to admit that you were wrong, Sam Harris, than to go on being wrong, Sam Harris.
1: We're also going to talk about gratitude and Speaking Thanksgiving.
0: of things that have nothing to do with Sam Harris at the moment.
1: Okay. <laughs> After we're going to do a Q&A this week, um, you can ask questions at darkhorsesubmissions.com. And uh, we want to just share with you some merchandise. We'll talk about it more at the end as well. But uh, Zach's going to show our new store here. We got all sorts of fabulous designs included. Have we even talked about blueberries? Blueberries, because oxidants happen. That's pretty fabulous. Uh, and I've been
0: waiting a long time to see that rendered in I reality.
1: No, you 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 have you tried to convince uh, the... the, the the family member of a friend of ours who does such things years ago you,
0: oh this that, is that's at least a 15 year old idea yeah, yeah
1: yeah uh we got uh, the goliath cap we got uh i think there's at least one more thing zach has queued up here to show maybe right. not um okay so um there's good stuff available at the store <clears throat> i never remember what the url for the store isn't it <laughs> Dark-horse-store. darkhorsestore.org or, mm, thanks so,
0: oh you're welcome um, yes, and there's so, a code. The code is
1: Holiday10. 10.
0: Holiday10 10. Holiday 10 gets you 10% off. What?
1: This is completely news to you.
0: Yes. <laughs> but I'm delivering it. That's the way news is. The people on the news, they read the teleprompter as if they are the authority, but it's just sort of passing. We don't even
1: have a teleprompter, though. You're reading right. your son.
0: I'm listening to the the voice yeah. in my ear, which is actually a real person in this case. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And we so. are so, we are grateful for that. One of the many things we're grateful for is Indeed. Zachary um, being real and here. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, before we move on to things that aren't this, uh, we have three Three ads, as we always do at the top of the hour. Um, you can know that if that green perimeter is around the screen, uh, then we are reading sponsored content. But you can also know that we only uh, accept sponsors uh, who make products or provide services that we actually and truly vouch for. That is true today. That is always true. Our uh, sponsors this week are Biome, Sundays, and MD here at.
0: And we have turned away more sponsors than we have accepted. So uh, in terms of what it means, these are these are things that we uh, we believe in.
1: Indeed. <clears throat> Our first sponsor this week is Biome, maker of knobs and Obs. Nobs is dentifrice of a whole new type. Dentifrice is anything you use to clean your teeth, toothpaste, but also powders or knobs. Nobs are fantastic. Biome, that's Biome without the E on the end, B-I-O-M, makes a fantastic product that all four of us now use daily. There's only two of us on screen, actually one at the moment, but you can infer the others. Uh, because they make products and are a brand that is legitimately focused on transparency, safety, and efficacy. Let's talk fluoride for a moment. Fluoride is the anti-cavity ingredient in most toothpaste that you already know about, but the fluoride in drinking water and toothpaste is not in a molecular form that is found in nature or that has ever been part of our diet. We talk about this a little bit in our book and. There's ever more research to support the idea that neurotoxicity from fluoride exposure, um, especially in children, is a real problem. Knobs from biome does not contain fluoride, but that in and of itself doesn't make it unique because uh, so much research is now coming out about the toxicity of the kind of fluoride that shows up in toothpaste. Many oral care products are now abandoning fluoride. Uh, but unlike competitor products, knobs includes a different and far better remineralizing agent. That's hydroxyapatite. Hydroxyapatite is a main component, is the main component of the enamel in your teeth, and it's in your bones as well. It has been extensively studied in medicine and dentistry and is as effective as fluoride in remin- mm, remineralizing teeth. It's a kind of a tough word to say remineralizing,
0: it's not as tough as hydroxyapatite, which every time you say it makes you wonder if you've got the word correct.
1: Well, no, because since I used to teach anatomy labs, uh, hydroxyapatite came up a fair bit, so yes. I, I, I became accustomed to talking about when talking about the evolution, the original evolution of um, these mineralized tissues in the body, bone, um, both internal and external, and and teeth.
0: So, I would just point out that, um, that uh, knobs. Should use the slogan, uh, "Don't use fluoride. It ruins your hydroxy appetite, which would technically be true. And for a small number of people would be funny.
1: Yep. yep. Uh, I, I hesitate to say this. Yes it's spelled different. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> All right.
1: Yes. I don't actually really hesitate to say that it's it it, it amuses me every time you I'll, make a pun I'll and get you don't you know this. it's a different spelling. <laughs> I get to which say that which is
0: fairly free. That's, yeah. that's how it's how you get access to the full pantheon of potential puns is knowing oh, the spelling.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's why it's why spellers find puns so irritating, frankly,
0: and why punners spell find spellers so irritating.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 We'll be talking about workplace toxicity later, guys, including this this no. episode here. <laughs> yes, indeed. No, knobs uh, uses hydroxyapatite. appetite. Uh, which um, is just as effective in remineralizing teeth as fluoride, but is not toxic, unlike fluoride. It doesn't really stop cavities from forming. It can even arrest tooth decay once it's underway. Furthermore, even most natural, natural toothpastes that are free of fluoride still have lots of abrasive ingredients like charcoal, baking soda, and eggshells. Now, I mean, when was the last time you chewed on eggshells in order to clean your teeth and yet eggshells show up among these other things in a lot of uh, toothpaste because it's imagined that what you need is an abrasive it's like yeah actually you don't really want to be abrading your teeth that much
0: I'll bet you, just knowing a little bit about how the world works, that the reason that eggshells show up is that not only are they abrasive but they are also um, abundant because they are a waste product from some things that are being sold for other purposes You know, products that have eggs in them and so undoubtedly they are an Utterly inexpensive way for the uh, the dentifrice manufacturers to satisfy the non need for abrasives.
1: So this is not the way this ad usually runs. But um, do you remember when we were in grad school and at the University of Michigan Museum of Zoology that there would sometimes be flyers up asking for uh, any eggshells that people had, Um, precisely because uh, the, the the bird division. You know there were there were divisions for all the major many of the major clades of, of animals in the Museum of Zoology. And uh, I believe that um, some research that involved feeding birds uh, was hoping, I think I have this right, um, to increase the calcium in the diet by feeding them eggshells. I do not recall <laughs> being asked for eggshells
0: ever, not once.
1: Well, probably because you're not um, as much of a flyer reader. A flyer as reader, are, yes. yes or... No, I... Yeah.
0: fly right by those things and don't typically read them but no yeah. i don't recall that at all um, yeah. i feel a little bad because probably i did have some eggshells rejected. oh I,
1: I took in some hard eggshells you them occasionally very occasionally yes
0: lots of people swear
2: by eggshells in their homemade toothpaste
1: Lots of people swear by Lots eggshells in their homemade Yeah, so yeah. No, I mean, I, I can see the logic being that the eggshells probably um, also have calcium, and people imagine that that's going to somehow like move into the teeth. Although I doubt it's it in a very
2: fine powder. It's, I don't think it's yeah. tremendously abrasive. I don't know. Not worth doing right now, though.
1: Yeah. All right, Nobs doesn't have eggshells, and um, that's to the, to the good. Um, Nobs also has no sulfates, parabens, phthalates, or microplastics, no BS, Nobs. It's right there in the name. Furthermore, Nobs comes in the form of dehydrated tablets, which allows them to be shelf-stable without any preservatives, take a tablet, chew it a few times, and brush as normal. Your teeth are gonna feel really fantastically clean because they are. Also, unlike with toothpaste, TSA has no interest in Nobs because they're tablets, so if you're flying with Nobs, you don't risk losing your dentifrice in security. Also, Biome now makes a mouthwash that is right on brand, free of stuff you don't want, simple and effective. So if you're looking for mouthwash, try Biome. And definitely check out knobs at www.betterbiome.com slash darkhorse. Again, that's Biome without the E. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-B-I-O-M dot com slash darkhorse. Listeners can enjoy 15% off their first one-month supply of knobs. And the rest of that doesn't make any sense, so I'm going right. skip Well, it.
0: I do, uh, in light of your vicious attack over my failure to register a difference in spelling i have to point out that you made an error in the read there you said that a dentifrice was anything you used to clean your (laughs) (laughs) not correct (laughs) you are going to owe a correction on that one we can do that together with my correction in the next live stream what um toothbrushes for example i think don't qualify so all right. That's a proof of concept. If you want to get uh, into pedantry. How about your tongue? Uh, also not, not a dentifrice. dentifrice. Oh, you're this is good. I bet we could come up with a lot of things. Fingers. That, yeah, fingers. Right. You're
1: really, really out there and you're really you are interested in abrasive. You have know, a handful yeah. of sand.
0: Grass that you use. To, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, awesome. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. You will have
1: to alter yeah. the, uh, the You've text. read this ad, though, and you read that line.
0: Right, but... um. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't being a, a pedant at the time, and so you didn't um, point it out. But mm. we digress.
1: Mm. Yes. So you are being a pedant now?
0: I am pedant. responding pedant. with equal and opposite pedantry mm. as a result of your pointing out that hydroxyapatite is spelled differently than appetite, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think this is a great episode to be um, talking about workplace toxicity, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if only all were accusations like, of cutting <laughs> <of> flying. <laughs> <You're> flying. <laughs>
1: yep. Yep. All right. Our second sponsor kind of feels like we're like halfway through the episode at this point, but we're only one out of three ads yep. in. Our second sponsor this week is Maddie's all-time favorite, Sundays. Maddie is asleep in the corner, not even yep. snoring. So you guys don't even know. Sundays makes dry dog food, but it's not your usual dry dog food. This is no standard issue burnt kibble. Still, the standard high-end burnt kibble that we were feeding Maddie seemed to please her. She's a Labrador. She'll eat just about anything, and she really likes her food. What possible difference was she going to show in interest between her usual kibble and which is a widely available high-end brand. And Sundays. Well, we were wrong, as we've mentioned before. Maddie loves the food that Sundays makes. She loves it. If we run out of Sundays and give her her previous high-end kibble instead, she is disappointed in us and in her dinner. We should be giving her Sundays. Not only is Sunday's Maddie's favorite, it's also far better for her than that standard burnt kibble that comprises most dried dog food. Sunday's is the first and only human grade air dried dog food. Air drying combines the best of cooked and raw approaches. Like raw, air drying preserves nutrients and tastes better than the high heat methods. Better than raw, though, Sunday's unique air drying process includes a kill step, which kills pathogens. So, unlike freeze dried raw or frozen raw dog foods, there is no food safety or handling risk for Sunday's. And it's got the advantages of kibble in that it's easy and it doesn't smell Uh, combining the nutrition and taste of all natural human grade foods with the ease of a zero prep ready to eat formula sundays is an amazing way to feed your dog there's no fridge no prep no cleanup no gross wet dog food smells total pleasure for the human interacting with it which is a bonus sundays also has no artificial binders synthetic additives or other garbage or um eggshells i think right yeah um all of sunday's ingredients are easy to pronounce and healthy for dogs to eat now eggshells are easy to pronounce though yeah yes yeah Hydroxyapatite, maybe not so much. In plain taste test, Sundays outperformed leading competitors 40 to 0. And our own little anecdote, Maddie, our Labrador, supports that results. Not so little, but definitely an anecdote. She bounces and spins and leaps in anticipation for a bowl of Sundays, way more than for her previous food. Do you want to make your dog happy with her diet and keep her healthy? Try Sundays. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Receive 35% off your first order. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash darkhorse or use code darkhorse at checkout. That's sundaysfordog scom forward slash darkhorse. Switch to sundays and feel good about what you are feeding your
0: dog. Now, to fend off any potential pedantry, I would point out that sundays can be used as a dentifrice. It's not a good one, but unlike a toothbrush, it, um, it can be a dentifrice in and of itself. All right.
1: Our final sponsor is M.D. Hearing Aid. Looking
0: up dentifrice. I think you will find this is true. Uh, our final sponsor is M.D. Hearing Aid. We have friends and family who have hearing loss. There's a good chance that you do, too. While we don't have need for hearing aids ourselves, we have a good friend who does. We asked her to assess M.D. Hearing Aid's newest product carefully and honestly. Her testimonial is at the end of this ad. MD Hearing Aid makes high-quality, simple and effective hearing aids for a tiny fraction of what most hearing aids cost, helping bring audio clarity and capacity to people who might not otherwise be able to afford it. MD Hearing Aid was founded by an ENT surgeon who made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone could afford. He kept the price low by removing several rarely needed components. MD Hearings Neo model costs 90% less than clinic hearing aids and the Neo is MD Hearings smallest hearing aid ever. It fits inside your ear and no one will know it's there. MD Hearings products also have a re- have rechargeable batteries that last up to 30 hours and their Volt Plus model is water resistant in up to 3 feet of water. You don't need a prescription, which also means there's no middleman. Here is the newest testimonial from our friend who has substantial hearing loss and who relies on hearing aids. We asked her to try this product, and here's what she said. Quote, I tested the Neo MD Hearing Aid's new in-ear canal hearing aid. I was a bit skeptical, since I've never liked the in-ear canal models, preferring the stability of over-the-ear sets. While they were surprisingly, comfor- they were surprisingly comfortable and stable, Sa- uh, sorry, I've never read this before, staying put without coming loose, even when I wore them to exercise. I tried the Neo in several situations, from Discord voice chat to in-person conversations in a room with white with a white noise generator, and they passed every test. It's true that they don't have the individual audiogram programming and smartphone integration of my usual hearing aids, but they have everything else for less than five percent the price. They provided an absolutely stunning level of quality for pennies on the dollar. End quote. If you want MD hearing aids, smallest hearing aid ever, go to MD Hearing Aid. Mdhearing.com. Sorry, not MD MDhearingAid. M D H E A R I N G dot com. Use the promo code Darkhorse to get their new $297 when you buy a pair offer. Head to mdhearingaid.com and use promo code Darkhorse to get their brand new $297 when you buy a pair offer. It's a fabulous deal for a fabulous product. You're looking at me like I have just had a flare-up of dyslexia, which I full well know happened, but nonetheless, I got there. In the end, I think the message was conveyed, and the authenticity in the dyslexia is undeniable.
1: It is undeniable. Yes.
0: I don't know who would want to deny it, but even if they wanted to, they'd be unable.
1: So to your point that dry dog food may be antidepressant.
0: <laughs> yes. I didn't claim that it was going to work.
1: Uh, I have looked up, I have looked up four definitions of dentifrice. online. yes. Uh, And I, you don't need to show my screen here, Zach, but um, I've got, um, I've got on um, dictionary.com, dentifrice noun, a paste, powder, liquid, or other preparation for cleaning the teeth. So that suggests it was created for cleaning the teeth, but I don't know. This is, I mean, dentifrice is a we human don't... construct. So wait, let me okay, get, okay, let me get all the all right. You did this to yourself. <laughs> uh, vocabulary.com, um, says, dentifrice is a fancy word. Uh, a substance for cleaning the teeth applied with a toothbrush. It specifies right, that would be hard to apply kibble with a toothbrush to your teeth.
0: Hard, but not impossible.
1: Okay. Um, We have at uh, merriamwebster.com a powder, paste, or liquid for cleaning the teeth. Again, for. And then um, where we should have started, and I was going to just read this one, the OED. The OED says the first known use of the word dentifrice was in the 16th century, 1558, in fact. And it has a powder or other preparation for rubbing or cleansing the teeth, semicolon, a tooth powder or toothpaste, also applied to liquid preparations. So I feel like... There has to be intention.
0: Yes, to oh,
1: clean I'm, the teeth. I saw you uh, in, coming in the, a mile away when on this you one. made your your, your pedantic, snarky point about well, see, uh, kibble you being. A dentifrice.
0: Me, you are forcing me to level up my pedantry. Oh, okay. and I will point out that you do not know what the intent <laughs> mm. was of the the people that made Sundays, and it may have been that they were intending to create a dentifrice. It turned out it was a marvelous dog food, and so they switched categories. We don't know that that didn't happen.
1: I mean, I don't want to help you out here, but
0: <laughs> I can imagine.
1: What <laughs> I do feel like, yes, actually, um, as much as many dry dog and cat preparations are considered not optimal, uh, because not so much for dogs in general, but because cats, um, being desert creatures aren't inclined to drink. They tend to get uh, their liquid from their food. So if you're giving them a food from which the liquid has already been extracted, you're likely to end up having like kidney problems and urethra problems with these cats down the road. Uh, so one of the advantages, however, of dry dog and cat food is that it does in fact help remove plaque from the teeth.
0: Wow, yeah. you are helping me here. I yeah, know. no, this is awesome. I believe we've made it. Excellent progress yeah. on a, a puzzle that most people didn't even realize was an important.
1: I one. still don't know that it exists <laughs> at all. Yes, exactly. but also
2: with three of those definitions, at least I believe, mm-hmm. knobs didn't fall into them because it said a a what was it a liquid no paste powder, or paste powder paste or liquid it's, yeah, it's it's a
1: it's a powder it's a compressed powder it's a it's a compressed powder
2: yeah arguably.
1: Okay, so if we team up on him and right. his pedantry, oh, yeah. I no, think we got we this. For one, have, thing, he doesn't even have a camera. For
0: one thing, his pet his pedantry is derivative of ours, mm-hmm. and therefore we and so are so way much ahead. Younger. We yeah. have so many no, more years have, on we him. We have the the uh, proper wisdom to deploy pedantry. He will not see coming. No, he won't. No.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> Happy two hundredth episode, man.
0: Yeah, it's cool now that we're the only ones here because everybody has switched to some other podcast. Yes,
1: guaranteeing that we will not make it to 210. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, It was a good run.
1: Yeah. Wow. My scarf is falling off. Okay. Um, Let's talk about sex equity for infant care, shall we?
0: You know I'm looking forward to
1: this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this, this comes up because I, uh, a couple of episodes ago, I talked a bit about uh, having been at the Genspet conference and I gave a talk there about sex differences. And one of the pieces, the the sets of data that I talked about is one of my absolute favorites. And I'm not going to go into it now. I'll probably um, publicly discuss it at some point, but um, uh, work from 1973 um, by anthropologists Murdoch and Provost, work that you are familiar with me having taught with a lot when we were at Evergreen, um, in which they um, did not do original anthropological research of their own, but went into the anthropological literature um, and said, okay, what are, uh, I think it's like 50 uh, jobs that people do in in pre-industrial cultures. What are 50 jobs that people do And, uh, and they looked at, I think it was 185 cultures and they said for each of them, for each, for each of those 50 jobs, and of course there's a lot of jobs that are only done in a subset of of cultures, um, are those jobs entirely done by men, mostly done by men, it's kind of a wash, uh, mostly done by women or entirely done by women. And so they have, you know, these five columns, 50, um, 50 tasks and, the reason that I love this research so much um, is that it reveals just a number of things about, uh, and you know, I, you end up using the word gendered here, even though I generally try to avoid the word gendered. But um, once
0: upon a time, it was just a word with the meaning. And fact, the a meaning. In fact, the early '70s, name. it was, it was just perfectly fine to use it.
1: Totally. Yeah. Um, so some work um, across cultures is highly, highly gendered. Um, the hunting of marine mammals. When it is done, in those cultures where it is done, it's done by men, Mm -hmm. right? The smelting of ores, the um, chopping down of giant trees, Mm -hmm. this is work that is, when it is done in a culture, pre-industrial cultures, uh, done entirely by men. There are... fewer items there are fewer tasks uh in this list by murdoch and provost uh, that are entirely done by women but that is i think because they have excluded from their list of jobs those things which are anatomically or physiologically mandated to be done by women and there really isn't that much that is um, considered a job that is anatomically or physiologically mandated to be done by women so i mean by men so you know gestation and lactation are off the table uh, and uh, while there are things like uh, the preparing of vegetal foods uh, which in most cultures where it is done, which is almost every culture, um, it is mostly done by women, it's pre, again, pre-industrial cultures, um, it is not as much a highly sexed or highly gendered task as those things like hunting of marine mammals and chopping down of giant trees and smelting of ores is a highly sexed task in the other direction. All of that is sort of as you would expect. Uh, but where it gets interesting, and this is, maybe I'll come back and, and actually do a full presentation on this but where it gets really interesting to me is how many tasks are in an intermediate state meaning uh <laughs> meaning it's nothing to sneeze at nothing to sneeze at. um either uh that uh there is just no gender split at all my goodness the dog has gotten something into her nose um <laughs> They're tasks that are just done sort of by whomever um, feels like doing them across many cultures. Um, More interesting yet, though, is that there are a number of tasks, things like um, um, weaving, uh, that is very often highly gendered uh, in those cultures where it is done, but which sex does it is highly variable. And so this, to me, demonstrates simultaneously the utility of the division of labor, And the fact that many of the things that we divide labor around aren't because men or women are inherently better at them, but because men, because male versus female is the most obvious basic way to split humanity in two and say, okay, you know what, we got to get some work done here. You do this, you do that. Okay, I need, I got two jobs. Okay, dudes, you're going to go over and do the weaving and women, you're going to do the, you know, harvesting of crops. I'm just making those things up for a particular um, culture, right? So um, this was sort of the, the, the last thing that I talked about in my talk. And uh, I got a, a lot of feedback, including from some people who weren't there in the room, but who watched the live stream of the talk, including from the lead author on a new paper um, and uh, who, who said to me in, uh, in her email to me and who sent the paper said, I cannot believe that this work is necessary. Um, but I and several co-authors have uh, written an article called uh, Breastfeeding and in Infant Care as Sexed Care Work, Reconsideration of the Three R's to Enable Women's Rights, Economic Empowerment, Nutrition, and Health. And that was published in the Frontiers in Public Health um, this year, which apparently this paper was felt necessary because there was a push for sex equity for infant care. So let me just read a little bit from the abstract from this paper, and then uh, the paragraph that um, that that really reveals what what the crazy is. And again, this paper is pushing back against the crazy, but it's the kind of paper that you know shouldn't have been necessary at all. Uh, let me see if I I keep on dropping out of full screen here. Okay, here we are. Um, so again, published in um, last month of this year, October of twenty twenty three. And I'll just read the the abstract to start. Women's lifelong health and nutrition status is intricately related to their reproductive history, including the number and spacing of their pregnancies and births, and for how long and how intensively they breastfeed their children. In turn, women's reproductive biology is closely linked to their social roles and situation, including regarding economic disadvantage and disproportionate unpaid work. Recognizing as well as reducing and redistributing women's care and domestic work, known as the three R's, is an established framework for addressing women's inequitable unpaid care work. So this is, I went and looked, the, the UN has been talking about the three R's forever, like the, the three R's is definitely like a big thing in public health and, um, and division of labor um, research. However, the abstract continues, The care work for breastfeeding presents a dilemma, and is even a divisive issue for advocates of women's empowerment, because reducing breastfeeding and replacing it with commercial milk formula risks harming women's and children's health. It is therefore necessary for the interaction between women's reproductive biology and infant care role to be recognized in order to support women's human rights and enable governments to implement economic employment and other policies to empower women." In this paper, I'm not gonna read all of this, but in this paper, we argue that breastfeeding, like childbirth, is reproductive work that should not be reduced and cannot sensibly be directed directly redistributed to fathers or others. That should be so obvious, right? Um, and, and again, um, the lead author on this paper sent this to me saying, I know this should be so obvious, I cannot believe we're here, but we actually have to push back against this attempt to one of the three R's to redistribute the work of feeding infants uh, to fathers. And so let me scroll down here to a paragraph that reveals some of some of the crazy that they're pushing back against. Uh, It's on page six, I think. Here we go. The impact on breastfeeding of societal expectations that mothers and fathers should share infant care equally, such as in Scandinavia, should also be considered. In Sweden, parenting handbooks position breastfeeding as a gender equality problem and describe breastfeeding as alienating fathers because it distances them from newborns and makes them unimportant. Research from Norway found that some fathers felt jealous of the mother-child relationship and sad and excluded when women breastfeed. They describe breastfeeding as positive for children, but negative for them. While one way of coping with this exclusion was doing more non-infant care work, another way was withdrawing from their partner and child, It is noted that breastfeeding as an embodied and sexed practice presents a barrier to societal ambitions for sex equity and child caregiving. Given the importance of partner support for breastfeeding exclusivity and continuance, promotion of the idea that fathers should be equally involved in infant care may undermine breastfeeding. Communicating with fathers about the special nature of the sexed care work of breastfeeding and their important role in supporting breastfeeding and undertaking other care work may assist them in adjusting to fatherhood and increase their other care work and breastfeeding rates. Or they could just grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I mean, that's incredible, right? That, that, that some number of men apparently in Scandinavia are feeling excluded and wounded, um, by observing, uh, that their partners and the mothers of their children are feeding their children, um, when they are tiny babies.
0: It is a it is a psychological disorder.
1: Is a psychological disorder. It is
0: psychological disorder. Maybe it's minor. I don't know. But the point is, the idea that anything other than um, that's kind of on you, cut it out, is required here is stunning.
1: It is. It is utterly stunning. So, uh, the first reference in this paragraph, uh, which uh, is after the sentence. Um, in Sweden, parenting handbooks position breastfeeding as a gender equality problem and describe breastfeeding as alienating fathers because it distances them from newborns and makes them unimportant. The reference is this one. Published in the Nordic Journal of Feminist and Gender Research. Sounds like a heavy-hitting journal, in <clears throat> published in 2021. An article called bodies get in the way breastfeeding and gender equality in swedish handbooks for new parents so let me scroll to just the one bit of this that i wanted to share with you oh if i can find it where is it um oh oh i i was just going to read the abstract there it was Um, excuse me this article offers an analysis of three popular swedish handbooks for new parents written by authors in the media class itself. Questionable. Mm -hmm. Okay. In these texts, breastfeeding as a gendered embodied practice collides with the Swedish ideal of gender equal parenting. Evolution has collided with the Swedish ideal of gender equal parenting.
0: Okay. So I would say uh, when an unstoppable force runs into something stupid and soft-headed, the stupid and soft-headed thing should get the fuck out of the way. Is that Uh, I would think, especially
1: when the stupid, soft-headed thing is written by authors in the media class.
0: The media class. The media class.
1: The analysis explores the various ways that gendered bodies, gendered parental rights, and gender equality figure in the handbooks, drawing upon feminist studies of bodies and embodiment and of breastfeeding in particular. It contextualizes the primary text in terms of the Swedish ideal of gender-equal parenting and in terms of current breastfeeding practices in Sweden. In the handbooks, the breastfeeding imperative is resisted because it is irrelevant and constraining for women, but also because it alienates fathers from infant feeding. Breastfeeding is ultimately rejected for reasons grounded in differences between gendered parental bodies and particular understandings of gender-equal parenting. We contend that the book's suggestion that breastfeeding be rejected in the name of parental gender equality, while it may cause women to feel physically free, also supports fathers rights discourses and in fact serves to once more marginalize women's bodies straight and queer
0: wonderful this does seem like progress
1: yeah so mostly i wanted to share this so that we could be aware that this is happening that there are smart people good people in the medical field who are finding it necessary to push to to publish to do research and publish work that says the obvious, that breastfeeding is sexed work and it is good for the baby. And if you're a dad and feel excluded, you got to grow up and get over yourself. The idea that, uh, you know, feminist discourses are going to be supported by the fact that some fathers feel bad at observing that the mothers of their children have a tighter anatomical and physiological bond with their babies when they are very young uh, is adding insult to injury, really. It's adding, you know, it's adding mental illness to an argument that already makes no sense. So how does that make anything stronger?
0: Well, it does a couple things. One, um, you know, we talk uh, in our book and elsewhere about the difference um, between, we just draw, draw a distinction between the sacred and the shamanistic. The idea that the relationship between parents and offspring should not be placed in the category of sacred, meaning do not mess with this, that you need um, a reason of a very high quality. The, the fundamental importance of this relationship is so great, and your inability to know what all the various, you know, just as breast milk, yes, it is food, but that's not the only thing it is. It's also carrying messages and. Uh, there's a bonding ritual so saying well hey i've got this bottle of food and it's technically got all the stuff in it that it needs it doesn't begin to get at all of the things you're disrupting that you haven't even spotted yet right so there's an inversion of guess what the purpose of life is to produce a next generation that is as strong as possible because you don't know what they're going to face so upending that because some males are feeling left out like no that's not a good reason to experiment it's just not I don't care if you're feeling left out this isn't about you this isn't about you that's really the point
1: that 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 is precisely the point point. and I feel like you know that is something that um, needs to be said to lots of people a lot of the time now you know in, including um, sometimes women who are demanding equity in certain workplace situations like you know you shouldn't be shooting for the same sex ratio as is represented in the population, and <clears throat> and unless you can find uh, obvious ways that you are being excluded for no good reason, then shut up already. Yeah, ex- this isn't about you. There is work to be done. There is work to be done, and maybe the work is um, growing a baby, and maybe the work is, you know, smelting of ores. Um, But across all of these spaces, there is work to be done. And the whining of someone who says, yeah, but I have a a thing that I want to bring up here, maybe and maybe not. Maybe it's not about you.
0: Yeah, it's not about you is the, you know, the thing that needs to be said to the the audience that is demanding this. But something needs Mm. to be said, and, you know... There is no academic term for, that sophistry, we don't have to answer it, right? You have made an argument that may be technically hard to respond to, but it is so obvious that it does not demand a response that we're not going to offer you one, that Mm -hmm. at the point we agree to sign up for the argument, we lose, right? Right. And this is now an across-the-board problem. And I would point out, it's um, ridiculous in this context. It's just obviously ridiculous.
1: Th- this is why I wanted to bring it because it's so obvious here. It's, it's so obvious. It's very often not as obvious. Why won't you talk to me? I'm. I, I how, how could you not talk to me about this? Because you're making no sense, and you're wasting my time, and I would be wasting everyone else's time if I chose to have this conversation with you.
0: But I, I want to point out that it's a totally different topic, completely different, but the same uh, meta issue is underlying it. When mm-hmm. we talk about the issues surrounding... Um, the testing of pharmaceuticals and uh their health impacts whether right. they are you right. know efficacious and safe mm-hmm. and um I was recently in a meeting of the, uh, the Florida Public Health Integrity Committee, which is composed of people, all of whom I like and respect. Every mm-hmm. single person on it is um, good, brings something unique to the table. They're all high-quality minds, and uh, you know they were put on it because they're forthright and courageous, and they say important things. But we find ourselves in these discussions where it's, these people are having their time absolutely wasted pointing out how the system could be improved in order to make sure that the drugs that emerge into the market are actually safe, right? Now, I said to them the last time, I said, look, everybody here is either a an academic or a recovering academic. And so you're all subscribed to this obligation to a certain level of rigor and precision and all of that. But obviously, this group could spend one afternoon and describe a system that would work better than the one we have. It's not that it's not obvious what it needs what needs to be done to fix it. It's that there's this is the solution to someone else's problem. We're dealing with corruption, right? Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't make sense to respond as if the system doesn't understand that if you have a drug company test its own drugs, that what comes out of that test is not actually a reliable indicator of safety. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, it's not a. Maybe they just haven't seen the problem. Right. Oh, they
0: haven't realized that there's a feedback loop and that that opens the door to corruption. No, oh. corruption is the point, point. and yeah. we're responding like it's an analytical problem, like they haven't noticed the issue. But like, no, that's not the nature of the problem, and this isn't either. This is a, this is a full frontal attack on reason. Yeah. And it is an inversion. It is it is feeding a you know a narcissism that you know would have some degree of. Uh, breadth in our society, but it is being amplified by people saying, oh, no, the birth process, you know, this is about you, right? And if you're feeling left out, then by all means, this is this, this is society's obligation to correct this imbalance in uh, in the, the raising of children. And it's insane because it's going to result, and it already is, of course, resulting in damaged
1: kids. Well, some of what you say there, I think, is super critical with regard to when, when, the, when these people, um, for lack of a better group identity, when these people make claims that are so patently batshit crazy, but they do so in the language of analytics, they do so in the language of scholarly discourse and care, and it's well cited and referenced, and they have the right, you know, organization of the papers and such. Almost all of us who. Are also, as you say, academics or recovering academics, are just you know familiar with what it is. Even if you know plenty of people um, have have not been in the sphere themselves, but are very well familiar with what it is to be scholarly. And all of us feel an immediate obligation to respond in kind, because we were told. And uh, if everyone is playing by actual legitimate rules, this is true that um, if an argument comes at you that uses a framework that is carefully referenced and is ordered in a way that you can, you like, wait, what was the point? Oh, I know where to find it. And so it's, it's, you know, it's organized in such a way that it is easy to figure out where the flaws are, which should be the way that things are organized, not to obscure the flaws, but to reveal the flaws, because that is what everyone who makes arguments should be interested in having other people do. Find the flaws in what I'm saying. I'd like to be saying something more true than what I'm saying right now. So if the thing, if, I, if what I'm saying is in good faith um, and I present it to you, present it to you in a particular way, um, then it is a matter of both respect and clarity that you respond in the same kind of format, um, with the same kind of clarity, with the same, you know, that you re- like, if I say, but I've got these references here that claim this, you know, why, why are you ignoring them? You might say, I don't think those are good references. Here's why, right? You can't just, just say, no, actually, here's a unicorn right right um, but the difference is that the the language that like the shell this the skin suit of academia is being worn by all sorts of people who aren't actually doing analysis and the rest of us go oh God that looks like analysis I got to respond analytically and and no we shouldn't have to
0: yeah so uh, this is exactly in keeping with what I'm saying I just want to flip it On its head. The point is, when you find yourself responding to transparent sophistry, that is an indication that what you are dealing with is sabotage. Mm -hmm. And this is not in obvious at this point. In fact, you know, um, James Lindsay has explored at great length, you know, the intellectual background of the sabotage movement. Right. It was designed as sabotage mm-hmm. and it is now being deployed as sabotage. And whether or not the people writing these nonsense papers know that that's what they're involved in, it is.
1: And this, so at his talk at the same conference, and this is something I, I quote him as saying a couple of weeks ago in Natural Selections, you know, the, the phrase that he is begun to use is the thing is not the thing. The thing is not the thing. Um, You're going to think you're fighting about race, about gender, about COVID, about Ukraine, about Israel. The thing is not the thing. The thing is the revolution is how he finishes that.
0: Right, which is uh, exactly correct. And what I would say is you're you're dividing at good faith is exactly correct. Mm -hmm. The system, the academic system assumes good faith. It assumes that nobody is trying to obscure the truth, that every we disagree, but what we disagree over is what is likely to be true or what, what direction the truth lies in, but yeah. that we are all supposed to be agreed on the idea that it would be a good thing to figure out what is true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's not true. We now have a university filled with people who are not interested in finding the, the truth. A university
1: system filled with people.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It is absolutely filled with people who are trying to hide the truth. And there is no mechanism. I mean, literally, we have dozens of academic terms for ways that we describe something. When you write a paper and you uh, say you claim a point mm-hmm. and you give a reference, right? Here is how I know that uh, species numbers go up uh, as, you, uh, as latitude goes down, mm-hmm. okay? Um, so then I will give a reference for that. And then I will say, but C... Mm -hmm. And I will point to the person whose work suggests the opposite. I'm not compelled by this, but I want you to look at the evidence that goes in the other direction, and I'm going to show you where it is, right? That's me acting in good faith, showing you my argument and telling you the best evidence, which does not compel me, is right here. We have that. We have personal communication. Ah, I know somebody who works in a laboratory. They're well-published, but they haven't published this thing yet. But they told me this, so I'm going to use it as evidence. And I'm going to tell you, it's not in a paper you can read yourself, but this is the person I got it from. Mm-hmm. Right? We have a dozen of these things. We don't have a language for Uh, Cut that shit out, right? (laughs) Cut that shit out. You're not. No, I
1: don't have to cite you. That was garbage.
0: I'm not answering that question because you know as well as I do that you're talking nonsense, right? We don't have that. There's no immune system in this because it's not designed to have um, saboteurs on the inside. And the point is. It can't function this way. It can't function this way. And you're going to get academics like talking themselves blue in the face about, you know, about the fact that maybe. Uh, we ought to think of uh, the production of babies as about reproduction, and therefore the baby might be central, not the father's, you know, resentment, right? So at some level, we have to start responding to the bullshit with whatever the academic version of, nope, I'm not obligated to to answer that because, you know, frankly, you're embarrassing yourself for even offering it as an argument. Yeah, Um, And... I don't know how we get there.
1: Well, and again, this, we keep on, anytime we end up talking about um, male, female space, uh, we see in the so-called scholarly literature, uh, an implicit argument of symmetry of, well, but men do this. Therefore women do this. Well, but women, um, you know, do this at this rate. Therefore men should be doing this at this rate. And, the fact is that we can, we should be, we must be, we are equal under the law without being the same. And this, you know, this, this has been an error that was kind of low level um, in some academic circles for a while. The idea that uh, in order to escape from some of the restrictions of, of womanhood, uh, that women needed to basically act just like men. Um, most smart people have long since abandoned that as as an answer uh, to the problems. But um, now we seem to be moving towards, well, but if men feel bad, then maybe the baby shouldn't be fed from the mother's breast and also, you know, go a, a step more insane. And, well, <clears throat> if men feel like they're women and they want to feed babies, then they should take a lot of drugs so that they can produce some kind of sludge from their chests and, and feed babies with it like also no also really really no
0: yeah everything down this the point yeah. is that's a dead branch yeah the fact that you're even hunting down it is on you
1: yeah right Like this is it's you, you want me to create a landscape that makes sense where you have centered yourself it's it's an entirely narcissistic landscape like n- yeah, no actually an, you don't like you, you don't get us to use our intelligence and analytical skills to reify your narcissistic landscape.
0: And in fact, um, once upon a time, we understood the asymmetry of this, right? Time's arrow. Mm. Time goes in one direction, right? The point of parents is to produce children. The point of children is not to reinforce parents, right? Yeah. Children are, you're supposed to spend to embolden, to... Uh, to make robust, to empower your child—that's the natural order of things—and then they will do it for their child, and they will do it for their child, etc. That's how things work. And the idea that anybody is playing with reversing this is like, well, how dumb would you have to be, or you know, what are you going to play with next? Like, you know, uh, hitting your thumb with a hammer—you know—that would be about equally as dumb, right? Maybe it's even less dumb. Maybe you should start with that one, and you know, see how that works out. I think
1: some of them probably should.
0: <laughs> I, I save it for the rest, well, for the rest I, of what us. What they're going to do instead of experimenting with it is they're going to demand that we do it. And then a lot of academics who can't figure out how to say that's dumb are going to try it. I guess I got it. Yeah, I guess I, I got it because it's in this paper, in this journal <laughs> with this impact factor, or whatever, right? Um, but – I also... It's,
1: it's a whole new meeting on impact factor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Impact
0: yeah. factor. It's like uh, uh, the, the next generation of fear factor, and we'll see who the next Joe Rogan is going to be. But um, anyway... Oh,
1: man. Uh,
0: I, there's a part of me that, you know, I, I can't say I've studied it, that I know anything about it, other than it has struck me as insightful and important, and it keeps recurring in my thinking. Yin-yang. Mm-hmm. Right, yin yang. To the extent that your culture contains this shape, and that you come to know it as like bedrock, foundational uh, unit of your mental architecture, is important because what it describes is complementarity. And although even the um, diagram, which is essentially it is perfectly symmetrical in a way that is actually mathematically slightly complex to describe. Mm-hmm. Um, right? It's,
1: y- yes. Yes. It is. It is perfectly. <laughs> so. It is perfectly <laughs> symmetrical. You can yeah.
0: black pixel, white pixel. Right. Well, um, so you're
1: you're saying it's bilaterally symmetrical? That's
0: the question is I'm not kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm no, not it's even not sure. it's not radially symmetrical. It's neither. And the yeah. point is, but you can tell that they're mathematically speaking, it is yeah. perfectly symmetrical in some way that you and I struggle for yeah. because yeah. because in our tradition it doesn't exist. We, we have to borrow it from the That east.
1: kind of symmetry doesn't exist or what it, doesn't exist? It
0: does not exist as a fundamental piece of our education. Right.
1: The the, the complementary dualism. Right.
0: And so the point is, I even find the fact that the name is not yin-yang, it's yin-yang, not perfectly symmetrical, Mm -hmm. right? So anyway, the point is, if you have something in your culture, deep in your culture, that speaks of complementarity at a level that there is a symbol, when you want to speak of complementarity, you have one, it's as ingrained as any character in your alphabet, right? Everyone has access to it. And so the ability to say, you know, that... Um, male and female are perfectly complementary. Oh, do you really mean perfectly? Yeah, I mean fucking perfectly, right? They would have to be. That's how we got here. Mm -hmm. That's how, you know, that's how we end up, I guess, a billion years down the road from the invention of these two things is... Maybe two. Yeah, maybe two, but whatever, at least a billion. So that perfect complementarity, you think you know better because you have a PhD in some field that barely exists? I mean... No, you don't. You don't. This is just simply what we are. And the fact that you think you've got something clever to say. Um, no, actually what you're saying is insane. And the idea that your particular brand of insanity is going to manifest as an experiment on children, on the normal process of raising children, who the fuck do you think you are? What well, why are you getting to experiment with that? No, this is about this is about children. It is not about academics and it's not about uh, fathers who are butthurt over not being able to breastfeed it's it's about children right you mess with that last that is as sacred as it gets right that's the whole point for every species is the production of viable offspring and so you know the people who are like eager to you know getting between parents and offspring in some way they're just they're these are these are madmen that's all they are yeah yeah
1: i got another example
0: oh awesome
1: (laughs) this one does not involve children
0: okay at least explicitly we're making progress
1: Uh, yeah i don't know um
0: we are regressing less quickly
1: (laughs) something i don't i don't even know okay um here we go you can show my screen here zach nature news um publishes an article. So Nature News tends to pick up from um, other primary research and say, oh, this seemed really big this week. Nature News publishes this week or recently, toxic workplaces are biggest reason women leave academia. Women feel driven out by problems with workplace culture more often than by lack of work-life balance. Toxic workplaces. Wow.
0: And I guess I could, I haven't read the paper and I frankly can't see it from here, but I'm guessing I know who's making it toxic.
1: Uh, we don't actually go there. No, they're the original. So I, 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 this, this is just a one page thing, but I went to the research it's based on and I read it. And I also read their supplemental materials, which is quite a number of pages of, uh, of how they discovered what they discovered, how they discovered Mm. what they discovered. So this is, uh, the original research that that nature news article uh, is based on called gender and retention patterns among us faculty and I'm just going to read a few highlighted sections uh, and then uh, and then we'll talk about it. From the um, abstract, they did a large- scale survey of the same faculty of they did a large- scale survey um, indicates that the reasons faculty leave are gendered even for institutions fields and career ages in which retention rates are not. So just to tease Very, that apart, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> please do because I can't follow.
1: What they <laughs> what that means, and it's not the main point of, of this article at all, uh, of this of this piece of piece of research at all. Is um, oh, actually, mm, there's a lot of cases where uh, men and women leave academia at equal rates, but still the reasons they leave are different based on sex. So let's focus on that. Now, <laughs> now I, I, I can I can see an argument for being interested in like oh, men and women are leaving at. At the same rate, um, but they're leaving for different reasons. Maybe there's something there, but it's written so cryptically and so covert, like, so it's so hidden. It's like, but we need to be concerned about that. Like, why? Why do we need to be concerned about that?
0: Wait, I got it. No, I see. I'm going to write the next paper on this one because I know where it goes. OK, here's yeah. the thing. Um, let's say that males and females are leaving at equal rates. Mm-hmm. Um the same reasons but females are leaving one octave higher that is to say when they describe the reasons that they are leaving it is one octave higher than when men describe that same reason and that is inequitable
1: and because it's one octave higher they are slightly more likely to be described as hysterical when they do so and it is that description uh, that uh, that uh, I don't even know what.
0: Right, no, but, but it is it is a yeah. it is a highly gendered pattern of leaving that women are one octave higher when they say the same stuff upon leaving, like I'm leaving.
1: Yeah. Okay. okay so let's just share a bit more from this from this paper. i us just scroll through. Um, for each faculty record, we assigned a gender label algorithm, algorithmically using cultural associations between names and the binary categories of man and woman resulting in binary gender annotations for 98.1% of faculty in our data set. We note that the assumption of a gender binary is a critical limitation of algorithmic gender labeling. The entire paper is about sex differences. Yeah. Okay. Using this- Did you know imp-
0: that clownfish can change sex? <laughs> you
1: know that banana slugs are both sexes at once? What? Proving the sex binary, because both at once.
0: I'm not, that's you, I. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Using, the, <laughs> using this employment census, we show that across the U.S., uh, across U.S. tenure track academia as a whole, women are more likely to leave their faculty jobs and less likely to be promoted than men at every career age and stage. But then, notably, we find that the gender gap in retention closes for assistant professors after adjusting for academic field. However, even for ranks, domains, and institutions where retention rates are similar for women and men, our survey results show that the reasons that faculty leave remain gendered, implying that faculty attrition can be gendered even if the overall rate of attrition is not. In particular, women are more likely to feel pushed out of their jobs and less likely to feel pulled towards better jobs than men. Although faculty associate these pushes with work-life balance issues early in their career, mid- and late-career faculty highlight issues related to workplace climate particularly aspects of climate that are not easily measurable, such as a lack of belonging versus overt gender discrimination.
0: So, wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. So they describe the reason that women disproportionately leave, which is feeling unwelcome, not pulled towards a higher level. Blah, oh, we'll blah, talk blah.
1: about exactly what, the, what climate is here.
0: But do they describe the... Corresponding disproportionate, given that men and women are leaving equally and that they've described the reason that women are leaving, have they described the reason that men are leaving?
1: Yeah, so there's they've got three categories, and I will, this is in the supplemental materials. They've got three categories where they're broad groups, and then they've got like little survey questions that that spell out. That's
0: a archaic term that you should not be using.
1: Which one? Three?
0: (laughs) Broad groups. Yeah, in the broad group, they leave for different reasons.
1: Yeah, so in the femme groups, they, um, (laughs) The broad groups are um, for professional reasons, meaning like salary wasn't good enough. I wasn't getting published. I felt pushed to publish. Uh, the work wasn't rewarding to me. Um, I, I mean, I shall show exactly. That's what it should mean. Those things uh, work-life balance. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to spend more time with my family. I wanted to spend time more time, like actually being able to have a family, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, and then this, this, This third thing, which women are far more likely, are at least statistically more likely uh, to say was their reason for leaving than men, uh, which is workplace climate, which again, remember Nature News says toxic work environment. Right. That's that's the description. OK, so men are more likely to leave for professional reasons. Hmm. They're looking they're looking for more money, uh, more prestigious institution, um, a better, you know, pro- probably they don't say this, but I would guess that given that academic jobs tend to be about research, teaching and governance and service, um, they probably want, you know, more research, less teaching and service duties, you know, things like that. Uh, Is
0: what? there a category in there for leaving because you identify as too smart for this shit?
1: Yeah, no. Um, uh, They do say in their in the survey, um, they included they went and and uh, they gave the survey to a bunch of people who had left academia, um, but not people who had left uh for retirement they had to leave for something else so i i would think that in that group uh would include people who left because they were too smart for this shit yeah but i don't probably. that wasn't part of this and then story, there's right? also
0: probably it's not it's not gonna be a huge category but people who left because they they had to go pee and then just decided not
1: to come back yeah they're like you know what i'll just you like i'll yeah. put the key card under the door you right. could, i'm not you can i'm not going back yeah yeah Okay, a few more, a few more quotes from this uh, article. We find that a portion of the overall gender gap in academia can be attributed to such cross-field differences, uh, e.g., and there's a whole lot before this I didn't go into, but because women are more likely than men to be faculty in high turnover fields. Now, a um, there's that's important if women end up in fields where turnover is higher, and therefore you don't know which came first, but you, you also, like, I don't know if the fields um, have high turnover because women are in them, or the fields have women in them um, because they're high, like, I, it's impossible to know, and they're assuming some, some cause and effect relationship that right. uh, we can't we can't actually imagine, Uh, we can't actually uh, know, rather, from what they've done. Um, And they find, I didn't highlight it here, but at the bottom of the left column on screen here, in addition, we find these disparities are larger in non-STEM domains than in STEM domains. That is to say, you know, all all these fields that include all the made-up crap that didn't exist 40 years ago, are the fields where women are likely to um, be overrepresented compared to men? At you know, compared to a one-to-one ratio, and those fields have a higher turnover. Um, in part, I imagine because they're complete bullshit, and smart people just can't put up with it for very long. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, okay, I'm not. Now they might to
0: be them. able to retain more people if instead of a high turnover field, they started an apple turnover field because those are delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Totally delicious. Yeah.
1: Um, Okay,
0: from I'm the, having a hard time taking anything academic seriously anymore. Oh,
1: as 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 you sh- as you should. Yeah. Uh, from this perspective, gender attrition is driven by gender differences in the degree to which faculty feel pushed to leave their current position or pulled to a more attractive opportunity. Um, so I, there, I do see that there is a difference there. Like I felt like I was being pushed out versus oh that other thing that I saw on the horizon looked really interesting. But uh, but just the stuff that I highlighted here is to point. I, I began to think like. But what, is any of this based on anything that is not just feelings, right? Like, so professional reasons. I got a higher salary. I got uh, more sabbatical. It was a more prestigious institution. Uh, I, from my new place, I was going to be able to publish more and thus pursue the questions I'm fundamentally interested in. Like, those are not feelings-based reasons, right? Um, Feeling pushed. Okay, by... Boom. Like, did they, or did you just feel that they were, right? So, this this is what I began to sense as I read through this and and um and highlighted the things I did. Uh, a few more here. We asked faculty who left academia or retired, uh, which specific factors contributed to that decision, grouped into three broad
0: categories:
1: mm. professional reasons, work-life balance, and workplace climate. Workplace climate includes stressors related to the way an academic feels around their colleagues, including dysfunctional departmental culture or leadership, harassment, or feeling like they do not belong or fit in their department. So the word feel actually just shows up twice there, right? And then we note, however, that early in the, er, however, that in the early career, women in both STEM and non-STEM domains cited work-life balance as often as climate, a pattern consistent with past literature on early career pre-tenure faculty. Yes. Because, again, anatomy and physiology and, um, you, you know, women are going to feel that pressure more when it may be time for them to start a family if that's something they want to do.
0: Yeah, so right. That's, that is that's an,
1: really freaking obvious. An
0: asymmetry built in here. But I, right. I would also, I mean, this is obviously implied in you in raising the whole issue. Yeah. But given that there was no disparity in the leaving, yeah, the whole idea that this research is somehow useful.
1: Well, so there are disparities in if, right? There are some disparities. But overall,
0: did they find a disparity?
1: Yeah, yeah. Overall, there's some disparity in leaving. Yes, uh, um, especially in which direction. Especially later in the career, women women leave uh, more than men. I don't. It, it didn't look super strong to me. Um, and given that they admitted that actually uh, early in the career, less STEM, less. That there are a lot of ways to sort of chop up the data and find no disparity. Um, I'm not sure that there's a problem that needs to be addressed here. But yes, they did find, if we trust what they found, uh, they did find that there that uh, women are somewhat more likely to leave academic jobs than men are. And if you include everything,
0: does that leave a residual? Are faculties biased in favor of men as a result in this? Of this?
1: Are you asking across the board? Are faculty in the u.s um still biased towards men yeah
0: yeah how strongly
1: i know i don't know okay i don't know Um, we obviously have some fields that are strongly biased towards women Mm -hmm. and some fields that are still fairly strongly biased towards uh, towards men and um and the move you know the trend is we know that the trend is in college we've got like a 60 40 female to male split among college students uh, and in um, graduate schools, uh, I believe if you take it across the board, you've got um, a skew towards women and that uh, in in many fields, you've got uh, a high skew towards women. Uh, so, I, you know, that, that does seem to be changing, but in part it's changing um, because it's being forced to change, as opposed to let's choose the right people and see what happens. And this, in fact, um, before I get to the final thing I want to say about this um, from their supplemental materials, um, my natural selections this week, I wrote about what I've dubbed the appeal to the noble savage or appeal to noble savages fallacy, because there's an astronomer, assistant professor of physics and astronomy at Amherst, who is spearheading a move uh, to rename... Um, some galaxies and a bunch of other stuff that was named from Magellan, oh, because he God. was a slaver and a colonizer and a murderer, and anyway, she writes, and I shouldn't be snarky I could, I could just read her words, but you know go go check out my natural selections piece on this. Um, you know, he wasn't an astronomer, and the indigenous peoples um, saw these galaxies first and um, and you know, what are we doing naming things after him?
0: Well, you know. I would actually point out that galaxies being what they are, the people in those galaxies are probably none too pleased to have Magellan associated with them.
1: Yeah, and no one asked them, did they? No.
0: No. I'm sure they weren't asked. So, you know.
1: But, uh, so, I, I... I am pleased with this piece. I do think the uh, appeal to the noble savages fallacy is is the is the right thing to be invoking when people start talking about renaming things because uh, we're applying the standards of today, which we can't even agree on anyway, but the standards of a day of today to people from hundreds of years ago. Um but it also it assumes that the people who came before, were pure and, you know, not human, right? They weren't murderers, no, certainly not. They weren't colonizers. Have you seen the Incas? Uh, You know, they weren't slavers. Yeah, a lot of them were. Uh, And unfortunately, you can see um, by looking at um, this person's work um, that one of the things that she proudly describes herself uh, as, and I'm just, I'm not gonna give identifying features even though you can find it, um, is, you know, Um, the first person of such and such descent to be in, you know, this kind of a field in the U S it's like, you know, how many descriptors do we have to tack on to be like, I'm first to me, it's all about me. Right. Isn't it all about the astronomy? Like, aren't we supposed to like, aren't you an astronomer? You're supposed to be caring about the stuff that you supposedly were hired to do. But instead we have Amherst college who hired this person now stuck in this landscape of, well, Actually, you presumably hired this person in part because they were claiming all that stuff about their sex and their race and their you know, lineage, um, being you know making them really super prepared to do astronomy. And now, what are they doing? They're trying to burn down astronomy instead of doing astronomy.
0: So it is it is evidence of sabotage. And I just want to point to one mode of sabotage that I think is here, and it's, it was also in. Um, the story we talked about last time about the renaming of birds. um, Right. You know, and the utterly
1: maddening... um, Well, the Magellanic penguins are presumably on the chopping block as well.
0: Well, sure. (laughs) Um, But if you make the argument that anybody who is compromised by perhaps a moral defect uh, cannot be associated with a creature or a structure in the universe or... A township or whatever it is that you're going to rename yeah. you make it impossible you make it increasingly difficult and eventually you make it impossible to go back and reconstruct history right, right. just the same way um you know rolling stone and the new york times both published that uh, chelsea manning had given documents to julian assange not true bradley manning did and then bradley manning uh, went through a gender transition in captivity while he was incarcerated. So, if you wanted, to... Uh, the first time I read about Chelsea Manning and I did not know that there had been a gender transition, I was like, that's odd. Is this person a sibling of Bradley Manning? Right. And there was no discussion because it was like, oh, actually, here's the truth about transition. When a person transitions, they are simply becoming their true self, which means that they were always Chelsea Manning, which is why the New York Times and uh, Rolling Stone reported that this person was Chelsea Manning, because it was really Chelsea Manning, even though at the time she went by Bradley. So, but my point is, the ability to even go back and reconstruct history is disrupted by the renaming to, I don't know even know what the justification is, to prevent people from feeling hurt or something, but...
1: Oh, um, it detracts from the beauty of the galaxies.
0: Well, I can see that, actually. I take back my... Well, maybe I don't take it back. But the the point is, if the purpose of study is for us to become clearer-headed to understand things better than we did before to create models that are more predictive and allow us to navigate hurting ourselves less and helping ourselves more, whatever the purpose of understanding stuff actually is, then those who are out to actually disrupt our ability to go back and reconstruct the pattern through which knowledge was acquired this is obviously an attack on reason yep and so how many different kinds of sabotage do you need before you just simply say all right maybe we should figure out who the saboteurs are and get them out of here so we can go back to work
1: yeah um to the earlier point you made uh we had a solution to this name thing because many women, when they get married, change their names, and so we use the French "nay" um, mm-hmm. in you know parentheses after the thing, you know Jane Smith nay Jones. Uh, yep. So so that uh, these people can be tracked as the same individual, even though at some point they changed their name, and uh, we don't talk about the um, the maiden name of women being their dead name. Right. It was just, they had a different name then. And, you know, to some degree, getting married does change, you know, you're you're now married, you were single, like it does change your identity to some degree. So, um, you know, and and it's actually a thing that can happen um, as opposed to changing your sex, which people pretend can happen. So, you know, it it feels to me like it should be treated in much the same way with regard to describing. And yeah, and then you have these people like, um, God what's his name? Like Veronica Ivy, this bicyclist dude, mm-hmm. um, who's gone through like three different names now, three different female names. Um, each more, you know, the names are more egregious than the last, but this is just like, a, you know, an aggressive, oppressive brute, um, who's, who's God, some kind of academic in some field, uh, and, you know, it can be hard to track. Like if you're not like, wait, is that the same? That looks like this. Oh, that is the same person. Okay. So why are you changing your name so much? Uh, Because the first time it was because you decided you uh, aren't the sex that you are, but um, the last three times it was was something else.
0: Um, Yeah. At some level, we have a right to just simply not be responding, to not be changing the names of creatures so that we know who we're talking about. I mean, honestly, like the creatures have names for a reason. And, you know, Feynman made this point very clearly, right? The names are arbitrary. That's not where the nature of the creature is, but they're there for a reason.
1: Yep. Um, Yep. Yeah. Okay. So um, just get back to this this paper, uh, which, again, we're talking about it in part because Nature News published a piece this week headlined, Toxic Workplaces Are Biggest Reason Women Leave Academia so far i have shared with you various little bits and pieces from the paper that that headline is based on and what i find is um there's not that much difference in the leaving by sex but even when there's no difference in terms of um whether men or women are leaving more there's some differences in what they report about why they left and uh men are more likely to say i left for professional reasons and women are more likely to, early in career um more likely to say work-life balance, which is something we've all heard a lot about it and, and makes some sense, but late in career, um, it's this third thing that no one was talking about until now, which is um, work environment, work climate. So uh, I went to the supplemental material, uh, which, hold on, did I get to the end? Yeah, um, I went to the supplemental material here Uh, They're survey items that they actually asked people. Actually, I'll I'll scroll so you can't see. So under professional stress, um, you know, is that you maybe had to produce too many papers, get funding. Um, Your institution wanted you to work on particular topics. You weren't recognized. Your salary wasn't good enough. You weren't getting uh, your work accepted. Uh, You didn't feel like your department was providing administrative support. All of those make sense and aren't based on feels. Right. Um, you know, poor administrative support. I could see how you know, your fields could be a part of that. But there's also just like, you know, are there enough support staff um, to do the kind of work that needs to be done? Or are you left doing things that you were told when you were hired, for instance, you wouldn't have to do for yourself? Right. Work-life stress um, associated with balancing work and life. Caring responsibilities. Um, you know, you got the two body problem where maybe you, you know, you're know you both in fields that are somewhat rarefied and they need to move and you're like, I, I got to move, too. Well, lack of time for hobbies and interests, um, amount of time you have to work, lack of leave time, um, and then personal issues. So all of those make sense. And again, some of them are um, subjective for sure, but you can point to them and say, you know what, I just, I just wanted more time to surf, right? I just wanted more time to actually spend time with my kids or to, you know, to to think about whether or not this is what I want to be doing because it looks to me like if I keep doing this forever, I'm going to wake up in 30 years and not have done anything else, right? Professional stress, work-life stress, and then climate stress, the one that we are told um, that is the big difference where women are more likely to report these things than men. The basis, again, before I show you, the basis for which that Nature News article said, it's workplace toxicity. That's why women leave. We have dysfunctional departmental culture or leadership. Well, yeah, pretty much all of them, but just <laughs> that's academia for you. Feeling the new need to prove myself, feeling that people like me don't belong or fit in my department, Wait, no, sorry. Feeling that people like me don't belong or fit in my department, feeling that people like me don't belong or fit in my institution, feeling that people like me don't belong or fit in my academic field, harassment, discrimination, how competitive academia is, constant criticism, comparisons, rejections. So the three of those that I have not highlighted, dysfunctional departmental culture, harassment, and discrimination are plausibly not entirely subjective. Certainly sometimes they are not entirely subjective. The rest of these, the basis for which we have a nature news headline claiming that workplace toxicity is why women leave academia, because women are more likely to answer yes to, I feel that people like me don't belong here. And it's just so competitive. This is such insanity. Mm-hmm. This is playing into such crazy, regressive, stereotypical female tropes about how women behave and what they're willing to do to get their way. And, like, and nature news is buying into it. This research is garbage. This survey was garbage. And they had, under professional stress and work-life stress, a number of things that are real. And in this third category, almost nothing here is based on anything but... I just don't feel like this is the thing for me. Furthermore, these are leading questions. Mm-hmm. How many people are going to say, well, yeah, actually, I, I didn't really feel like I belonged. Now that you put it that way, yeah, that is why I left.
0: Well, and the problem
1: is that um,
0: the work, if you can call it work.
1: The, this research. Yeah. Yeah. Like all yeah. this
0: stuff, it yeah. is designed to create a pretext for remedies. That are desired, and the point is, yeah. this becomes increasingly a welfare program where people create bullshit scholarship for which they feel entitled to be paid, entitled to get benefits. So they are yep. parasites on the university system, on society, and what they are producing as a result of their parasitism is pretext for further parasitism. Yes, and this is this is midway in that it's
1: a jobs program.
0: It's a, it is a make work program it's not even a jobs program
1: because well, they're going to get benefits
0: they have a nominal job but it is a job that does not need to be done right. in fact civilization would be better off if it weren't right um That's... well it's you know it's not like the wpa where a bunch of things right but to be make done. work
1: you don't necessarily get paid for, I, for I, I think we're saying the same thing we just have different connotations for what these terms mean for me a jobs program is like oh i just need to figure out a pretext for getting paid like well this is it
0: yeah but The idea, you know, you could twiddle your thumbs for a salary that you didn't deserve. And in fact, you know, people in the tech sector talk about the huge number of people who don't do anything. And, you know, people talk about the fact that Elon Musk fired a huge fraction of the staff and Twitter got better, not worse. Um, So apparently they weren't doing anything productive. So there's not doing anything productive. And then there is doing something destructive in the very system that is paying you. do that work right you are a paid saboteur yep and um you know i I must tell you my my reaction overall is this system is so broken to begin with it's scientifically broken before you even get to the fields that don't really exist and are attacking science and the scientists aren't even ready to defend themselves and say no i'm sorry stop messing around with sex we actually understand this and you're not allowed from some other field to, you know, lob hand grenades in, actually, there are two sexes, we know how to define them, we know a lot about what they mean. And, um, you know, you can go have your little discussion elsewhere, but you're not going to get us to change what we say to students about whether there are two sexes. There are, right? That's what they should be saying, but they don't. So the scientists are pitiful, because they won't stand up for themselves. They're too um, cowardly to just simply even stick up for the truth. Yep. And the saboteur fields are on the march and taking over the thing. And the real question is, um, look, I'm sorry, we do need a university system, but we don't have one. Yep. And pretending that it is one doesn't help. And decide, pretending that you could rescue this one, rescue it, really? All these cowards, you're going to free them from something and they're going to go back to work? I don't think so. I don't no. even think they remember what work is. I mean,
1: this is, this is you and I have said this over and over again, but people often um, say when, you know, various projects about, you know, creating a new university. Oh, but you know, is there going to be demand? It's like, oh, there's demand. Yeah. There will be so many students in an actual functioning university. Will there be sufficient faculty? Yeah. That is what we are going to have a dearth of. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we need a lot more students than we need faculty, but we're going to have a harder time getting a functioning university filled with actually competent and courageous faculty because we've ruined a whole generation of faculty. And yes, we're in the process of ruining a whole generation of of college-age students as well, and they're ruined in a different way and in some ways more completely. But the faculty, once they're in their little fiefdoms of their classrooms, get to completely destroy people, and they're doing it.
0: Well... This is a classic. It's actually worse than that. Because the reason that there are not enough people to staff a proper university were you to start one, it's not that those people don't exist. It's that if you assume that an academic has an academic degree, then you're taking people, all of whom have been lobotomized by the process that trained them. There are lots of smart people who could do a, a bang up job of educating people, but how would you, who are you going to hire to figure out who they are, right? Because the fact is they don't have degrees. They did other things. They actually, you know, they in large measure were driven out by the idiocy of the system as it stands. And they went and did something else. Some of them have no degree at all.
1: Yeah, but the accreditation process says uh, you risk losing your accreditation if you've got non-terminally degreed people teaching your classes. I remember actually at Evergreen you wanted to teach with a friend of ours. Uh, It was brilliant and it was going to be an amazing program, but he doesn't, you know, he just had a bachelor's degree and, uh, you know, the admin powers that be are like, you can't, we we can't do this. Like, even though this would be one of the most extraordinary programs that has ever been taught. Yeah. Nope. nope, Certainly can't. Nope.
0: Right. Uh, So, you know, it's a system that is in a death spiral because the correct move is actually forbidden, which is to figure out who's actually still smart. Right, you are yeah. you are required to search a landscape of people who um, were foolish enough to continue to sign up the rules in an era of uh, increasing sophistry.
1: Yeah. Um, this is just more sophistry, but I'm going to share one more piece of sophistry from the same paper before we move on. Just All the right. very next page here. This was um, you were you were showing. Um, you were shown Table S9 from the supplemental material just now, and if I just scroll down one more page, this is 63 pages of supplemental material. Survey data cleaning. They did a number of data cleaning choices. Made a number of data cleaning choices, including about gender. Three out of the 6,570 men in our survey indicated that they are transgender men. One out of the 3,480 women in our survey indicated that they are a transgender woman, and one of the women in our survey indicated they are woman and non-binary. While these five individuals used the prefer to self-describe box in order to describe their gender, we also included them in the binary gender categories that they mentioned in their descriptions. Including participants who self-reported these additional aspects of their gender identities into men and women categories allows us to respect their status as men and women. Which, these numbers are tiny, right. but that nullifies anything else that they have done right right there
0: the point is the fact that the numbers are tiny means it probably didn't change things much but they do not say in light of you know the the right thing to do would be to exclude them but of course that would be transphobic or whatever um so the fact that they include them says that they are more committed to Mm -hmm. um saluting the correct flag than they are to actually discovering anything Mm -hmm and you know this We're respecting their status as so, men and women which they're not so wait a second this, this, I mean they're
1: one of them but they're not the one that they say they are
0: if you go back to the thing that I was saying about you start renaming stuff and you make it impossible to actually reconstruct history right. or to track a particular creature you know because now they have a name that nobody can say because somebody might feel hurt about it so you can't figure out the scholarship on that creature before the name change yada 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 Right. Um, this the idea that we are going to include you under the name under the gender that you self-describe means that we are no longer going to be able to figure out anything about sex differences this is, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy 100 percent. and yep. um so the point is it's like i
1: bet all the people who identify as the sex that they are not are more likely to say oh it's about a toxic work environment
0: right yeah um but let's put it this way they're wielding an argument right about sex not being a thing right right and then they're going to make sex not a thing at the level of the data, right? And then they're going to say, see, it's in the data, right? right? there. No difference between men and women. And that's Who
1: looks at the supplemental materials? 63 pages of supplemental materials. Who looks there? Right.
0: So anyway, the point is it's another attack on our ability to understand even what's true, right? Never mind whether it's fair. Let's just figure out what's true. And then we can talk about whether it's fair. Right. But you're not even going to be able to know. True first. Yeah, true would be first. True has to come is first. This is, this is yeah. the proof that once again, um, the purpose of the exercise is not the one that we all think academics has. The saboteurs mm-hmm. have flipped the purpose, right. right? The purpose is to advance a particular story. And to the extent that the truth gets in the way, they're going to disrupt our ability to even know what it is.
1: That is correct. <clears throat> that is correct. So um, that leaves us with a difficult segue Oh, God. Into talking about gratitude.
0: Mm. I am
1: not grateful for the saboteurs, um, but it being, as as we speak now, the day before Thanksgiving, before American Thanksgiving, um, we thought that we would spend a little time talking about, about that.
0: So we are transitioning from the saboteurs de force, sort of, um, into to? a discussion of gratitude. And actually, yeah. I think it just has to be a clean break. We just have to <laughs> switch mindsets and talk yeah. about the things um, for for which we are grateful, which um, many people have noticed that Thanksgiving is about the last holiday to fall. Um, maybe it has not perfectly resisted commercialization when, you know, you can buy a, a mainstream turkey and, of course, one can do nothing but sit through Thanksgiving wondering about what black friday will bring um so anyway there are attempts to encroach but it is in some ways our purest holiday here in the u.s still um and i wanted to i wanted to start by saying um a few things about what's on my mind um i should say you and i have just been uh to the czech republic we then went to um to great britain to london uh, and then I've just gone for a stupidly brief visit to Romania.
1: Um, and I was in Denver in there as well.
0: You were in Denver. Uh, and so anyway, we've been interacting with a lot of uh, folks. And the trip to to Romania, actually, which is the most recent one for me, um, put me in contact with a lot of folks, some people that I knew pretty well, some people I'd never met, um, but Above all else, we we are in an era where we are facing a level of dysfunction that we've never seen, that many of us never anticipated, even if we knew that it was possible. It was hard to imagine that we would find ourselves here. And um, there is a level of um, disappointment It's not strong enough a word, but people who should have stood up, who just absolutely didn't. Um, And uh, there's a tremendous amount of betrayal, people who instead of standing up or even cowering, decided to um, sign up with the enemies of reason and freedom and decency and all of that. But there are also a tremendous number of people who have stood up, people that we never would have encountered if um, this particular Passage of history hadn't unfolded the way it did. And I, I was especially reminded, the, the trip to Romania was for um, the International COVID Summit, the fourth International COVID Summit, the first one I've attended. Um, but I was struck by meeting some, some folks who have paid a terrible price for their um, forthrightness and their courage. And yet they still continue because it is the right thing to do. And they, like we, mm-hmm. have no choice about it, right? There just simply is the right thing. And if your values mean anything, your values have to endure under incredible pressure. And so um, I was talking to Ryan Cole, mm. who uh, has long been one of my favorite people in the, uh, the medical freedom movement. He's a pathologist He's somebody uh, I first became aware of. I was just watching a YouTube video. I had no idea who he was. And he was, you know, testifying. And I don't remember even who he was testifying to. He was testifying to some uh, governmental body or something. And he was saying such reasonable things about um, what actually threatens health, what actual measures work to benefit people, the insanity of the COVID Response, and I was just struck by his eloquence. And um, uh, I've learned since I've now met him a couple times in person. I have learned since that he's actually um, quite the Renaissance man. Hmm. He's a musician. He's a farmer. He's a craftsman. He, you know, he's, he's exactly the kind of person that um, you know. There's just an incredible depth to to what he understands of the world, and so it makes a lot more sense of um his uh his standing up in the face of terrible pressure and he's faced the loss of his license to practice he's got medical jeopardy and all for just saying the right stuff and being early right talking Mm -hmm. about the um emergence of what are being called turbo cancers he was talking about that very early he talked about vitamin d and its role in um preventing covid he's talked about clotting disorders and um the so-called vaccines anyway he's been uh, a very powerful force and he is just um he has he has withstood a tremendous public beating Mm. from the powers that be which would really like to shut him down because of how um how important the message that he's delivering is Anyway,
1: and his message is based on empirical observation. Yes, so it's it's particularly difficult uh, for others to say you didn't see that you're not seeing that when he is saying I in my professional capacity am seeing this
0: and because he's a pathologist we've made this point before but because he's a pathologist he doesn't even have the normal doctor experience because he has vastly more patients he's not seeing the patients themselves he's seeing samples he's seeing scans and so as a pattern emerges like oh my goodness there's vastly more cancer of X, Y, or Z type. The point is he's seeing it as something much closer to a statistically valid His sample
1: sample. size is orders of magnitude, maybe. Orders of magnitude, probably larger than what most doctors would see.
0: Absolutely. Interestingly, though, when you talk to him or when you see him present, um, the cases are very personal to him, Mm. right? He talks about, you know, the young woman who has died suddenly... You know, he knows how many hours after her vaccination she dies and of what she has died. And um, you can tell that he feels each of these cases personally as if he was the doctor in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, uh, I have a lot of gratitude for a guy like this who simply will not back down from what he knows to be accurate. And... Uh, will present it to the world, whether they want to hear it or not. Um, that is a, you know, it's surprising how few doctors, we have an entire profession of people, most of them screwed up, and many of them now know they did and haven't admitted it publicly. Many others don't yet know that they did. Um, and a very small number who, you know, have become familiar to us because they, they're the only ones you know telling us what we need to know um these people have emerged Mm -hmm. and um i don't know they they deserve a tremendous amount of thanks
1: yeah they really do yeah
0: um Mm -hmm. i would also point out i uh hadn't seen robert malone in some time but Mm -hmm. in fact um robert malone who was sort of the headliner of the conference um i was reminded that when he came to our house, actually, before he was well-known. Dark Horse was the first place that he showed up, that um, he got substantial traction. And of course, uh, Dark Horse was demonetized. It remains demonetized on YouTube. Uh, That was one of the two videos uh, that YouTube went after. Um, We were fact-checked over things that were said in that episode. I. It met for the first time Byron Bridal, who mm. actually uh, was responsible for unearthing some of the information for which we got fact checked. We said true things, and um, the fact checkers declared it misinformation, which of course set YouTube in motion, demonetizing us and crippling um, our ability to earn. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I saw I saw Robert Malone, and Robert Malone since the. Uh, last time I saw him, has endured the awarding of a Nobel Prize or a, uh, the Nobel Prize was strangely narrow in its description, um, but I was reminded that when Robert Malone, who I didn't know who he was, um, came to our house and did a podcast, did a Dark Horse podcast, and I found out who he was. He told me basically what he had done, and I was disbelieving I think like many people in the, the medical freedom movement there's this question about why why is the inventor of mRNA technology on our side here
1: right
0: right, and he's on our side because he's a very good guy and the technology isn't safe right it doesn't matter that it's brilliant right it shouldn't be injected in anybody and Robert Malone knows it but yeah. um, what I remember saying to him again, meeting him for the first time, was, you know, if you go on this program, that's the end of any shot you have at a Nobel Prize. You're talking about a Nobel Prize-worthy discovery, invention, and you're walking away from it to talk here about what it actually means. And he knew. Mm. He understood what he was doing, Um, which, you know, watching the Nobel Prize then be awarded. And I will just point out, for those who are paying particular attention here, it was awarded not for the mRNA platform. Why? Probably because then his story history would have to record his exclusion and yeah. then the fact that he holds those patents and therefore is the discoverer.
1: Yeah. No, they often often it goes to three people. It could have gone to him as well. If it was for the platform, it should have gone to him. But so the Nobel was not for the platform. Right. It was for the it was for the,
0: the pseudouridines, yeah. which is an amazing thing for them to have given it for. For one thing, it allows them to award the thing as if this had been a great triumph, but the pseudouridines that were swapped in for the uracils in order to make the mRNAs durable is actually one of the most dangerous things about the shot as it was delivered. And so to give a prize as if that was a good thing, you know, it reminds me of um, the scene in Catch-22 where... Um, if I recall correctly, um, the squadron has gone out on a mission that they're terrified over, and they've dumped their bombs uselessly somewhere um, because they didn't want to fly into territory. they're that... going to
1: catch so much flack. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. So they dumped their bombs uselessly, and the brass in Catch-22 decides... That that's so embarrassing that what they have to do is give them medals for their bravery in order to obscure <laughs> the fact that they've done this, right? So it's it's the same damn thing, right? Yeah,
1: except dropping bombs someplace where no one is hurt is a neutral act, not an actually dangerous act.
0: Right, exactly. So anyway, I was I was um, you know, uh seeing Ryan Cole and um and Robert Malone in the same place. And, you know, the feeling of camaraderie amongst the people who have stood up against this madness and suffered all kinds of indignities and terrifying losses of their ability to, to do their job. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how much I'm entitled to or allowed to say about the Awful stuff that has been done to, to Byron Bridle, but it's insane what the man has faced. Just just it's beyond belief. So, anyway, a lot of gratitude for the small number of people who actually shined under the worst conceivable circumstances who are still standing up and doing the right thing. And you know what? These people who have suffered so utterly. They're actually a joy to be around and it's not surprising, right? They actually, even though they have as much reason to be bitter as anybody, they are the opposite, of course, right? Mm -hmm. If that was your approach to life, right? The point is, well, okay, they are suffering, but they're still standing and they, uh, they embrace life and they, um, you know, they appreciate that that's just the burden of the role they find themselves in.
1: Um, I don't remember to whom the quote is attributed, um, but I watched this uh, documentary last night, 20 Days in Mariupol, about Ukraine. Uh, And at one point, the journalist, I think, who's making it, uh, reports this quotation from someone, and again, I'm sure we will hear who it is, who says, war uh, reveals people's character and the bad people become worse and the good people become better. Mm. Uh, And... Uh, I think that this is part of what you are reporting on here. This is part of what you are uh, you are seeing, and these are you know almost well certainly none of the people you just mentioned. And if I think you know, almost none of the people whom we have been interacting with um, during COVID, um, over COVID, through all of this, were people whom we could have named, whom we could have pulled out of a lineup before, right? And, um, so that, that too is something to say to those who can see, but are scared, uh, that when you do stand up, uh, you, it is, it does reveal, like you, you will lose people. There, there will be people who turn on you and you will be surprised by whom some of those are. You will, and you will be disappointed and there's no getting over that. Um, but uh, you will also be surprised by some of the people whom you know who stand up with you. Wow, that's amazing. And also by all the people you don't yet know uh, who uh, will begin to reveal themselves to you um, or or come to you and maybe you know who they are uh, and say, yeah, yeah, thank you. And now, now, now you too are in this with the rest of us. And here we go.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, we've called this the painful upgrade and it is, mm-hmm.
1: but the
0: degree to which it's just better. Yeah. Right. I, um, The cost. Live not by lies, right? Yeah. Live not by lies. And the fact is um, yes, they will make you suffer. That's what they do. It's how they get away with it. Um, but um, the ability, the ability to be in a room full of people, who you you know you just admire because of what they have endured in order to frankly tell people what they needed to know in order to protect their families um, you know it's an honor to be in that context and to, and to know that you belong and so anyway there's no getting around the fact of uh, the cost and there's no getting around the fact of people you will lose but you're better off without them um, and you know, you will, you'll be glad to join the group of people that at the end of the day, you know who they are, you know what they stand for, and, um, and you don't have to feel strange about, um, about you know what their weaknesses might be.
1: Right, and you know, in the case of those people who have stood up courageously and suffered the costs, that when you do come to disagree with them, would you do discover disagreement with them, which you will, because there is presumably not anyone else on the planet with whom you agree entirely. That um, they are not going to respond with outrage and hurt and and woundedness and act like this is all about them, or that you're an idiot for thinking that way. And you know, maybe you do have some opinions that you're an idiot for thinking that way. We probably all do, but uh, you know, the, these are the people who are well able to sit. With other human beings with whom they do not see entirely eye to eye, and say, "Cool, let's talk about it," or, "Okay, we've done that for now. Um, At least for right now, we're not going to get any further. So you know, let's let's play ball, (laughs) let's have dinner, let's have a campfire, whatever it is."
0: So I guess there is one thing that I would sort of offer to that group. I think if there's one vulnerability of all of these incredible people and you know I'm hesitant to start naming names because I will inevitably you know yeah. forget people but uh I spent some time with Jessica Rose who I'd never met, uh Harvey Reesch, um Denny Raincourt, um uh, Meryl Nass. There were lots of lots of important names from this movement there. Um most um this was their first rodeo. COVID.
1: COVID Not not this conference, but this COVID, yeah. COVID Mm -hmm. was
0: their first rodeo. And the problem with that is, A, COVID was special, right? It was the most extreme one of these probably ever. The degree, the breadth of the propaganda, the intensity of the attacks, the amount of money at stake made this sort of the ultimate... um, battle
1: the mass psychosis was global
0: was glo- absolutely global and actually mm-hmm. matthias Desmond was there only briefly at the conference it was mm-hmm. great to see him too speaking of he doesn't suffer from the mass psychosis <laughs> but he has uh, described mass this. formation and anyway yeah. it was great to see him he gave a, a wonderful talk um but the uh what I wish these folks could understand most of them is that some of what they're experiencing is unique to covid and some of what they're experiencing is generic to fighting power. Mm. And you really need a couple of data points before you understand that part of this, you're being misled by the degree to which the details are about COVID. Maybe they're about immunology or they're about you know the funding of medical research or something like that. And you don't realize that there's a generic aspect to this, which is that when power wants to shut down a narrative... It does certain things, and um, some of it's just generic. You know, so I was talking to uh, Byron Bridal, for example, about the insane stuff that he has faced at his university. And he's like, "Can you believe that my colleagues X, Y, and Z?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, I can believe it because we face the exact same thing on a totally different topic." Yeah. Um, so anyway, that that it would. I do hope that those folks can somehow globalize what they know and infer that fighting power is this thing and they just had a very unusual first experience
1: well i will i can i can add to that that i had a similar experience with some number of the people i talked with at the genspec conference in denver um that it is um people experience one of these uh sort of reversals of reason and uh and mass formation and um and learn that lesson very, very well, and suffer a great number of costs. But it can be very, very difficult to generalize to, oh, maybe this isn't the only time or the only domain in which this is happening.
0: Well, and I, I guess the the hope, uh, I think, I believe you think, that the, uh, the powerful force that pulled this COVID nonsense on us is the same powerful force that is uh, on the march on other topics you know the woke revolution is about something and it's not really about you know people who think they're oppressed rising up it's about disrupting a kind of normal functioning for the purpose of getting somewhere um and so what we need is the there aren't there aren't enough people who are ready to stand up and fight courageously each time somebody does, they embolden somebody else. So we need a kind of contagious, uh, spread of courage. Yeah. Um, and that requires people to realize that their, uh, partners may actually not, you know, if you're a COVID dissident, you may not realize that, you know, John McWhirter is on your team too, because he's on a totally different topic. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but it's not a totally different topic. It's people who are willing to stand up in the face of power and actually uh, speak the truth. And to that point, this leads to another category that I'm grateful for that I think is uh, is worth calling out. And I don't know how to do this exactly, but we noticed back in the um, the days of the BLM riots that one of the things that was really conspicuous about the um the enemies of reason and decency was that they were tone deaf like literally they could not yeah couldn't come up with a protest song that didn't sound like like a dirge
1: you, you know, know it was terrible it like hurt your ears It
0: was mad oh god it was terrible yeah. right it's like wow you're that unmusical um and then you know the degree to which there was no sense of humor people just no sense of humor it's like terrifying you know yeah. unmusical mm-hmm. not funny right there's just no there's no spark of human genius in anywhere in that uh that group so what i wanted to point to is that something has emerged um that's quite hopeful and uh we we haven't released it yet i'm i'm uh we will soon release a, an episode i recorded with um an artist, his name's Brad, but he goes by five times August, who has shown up as a... um, He has become a person who writes songs about where we are, which is not what he set out to do. His life has been music, but he was much more standard and he became radicalized as he saw what happened over the course uh, of the last several years. And he became, you know, a poet of... uh, the folks who actually are on the right side of history, if I can use that uh, overused phrase. Um, But anyway, he wrote a song, um, which was one of several that caught my attention, um, called Ain't No Rock and Roll, Mm. in which he, it's emotional for me even to describe it because of what it must have meant to him to do it, but he calls out all of his heroes for not showing up, right?
1: Or even showing up in the in the wrong place
0: yes right yeah and his, his basic point was you know all that stuff that you sung about you know the man and oppression and uh you know the failure of decency and all that stuff was bullshit, apparently mm-hmm. and we believed you and then you know um uh you know there's a line in the song where he talks about the fans t- took the blame right <laughs> that the, the fans effectively had listened to, you know, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell and, mm. and you know, Neil Young. Neil Young, all of these people. Yep. And then these people just cowered. Um and so anyway, I, I think there's something remarkable in an artist, you know, confronting his elders and pointing out their terrible failure. Um so anyway, that means something to me. I was listening to that song i asked um siri to play that song for me in the car and then it played another song after which i had never heard before um which was also five times august um which uh i would recommend people also listen to called the anti-fascist blues (laughs) which is a spectacular song in its own right
2: i should point out i know the second song you're talking about there because i listened to a bunch of his music after you recorded that podcast He's they legitimately a good artist. He's a, it's not. He's, he's not just making right. you know, activist music, which usually sucks.
0: He's great, and he's he's the cutting edge because. He's, but it's
2: it's really good, and it's also not a recreation of like music from the '60s with new
0: lyrics. It's, right, it's in, unique to him, and in, it's really good. Well, in fact, you may not know this, but the song "The Anti-Fascist Blues" is musically an allusion to the subterranean homesick blues of Bob oh. Dylan. Um, so it. But that's a difficult needle to thread. You either get too close to the subterranean homesick blues, and then it's derivative, or it's too far, and then like the illusion, what does it even mean? But he he nails it perfectly, and the lyrics. So the other thing about him is his songs all come with a video that he puts together, and the video is sort of collages. It's animations, but it's you know it's done sort of like Monty Python with you know cutouts that move right mm-hmm. anyway it's done very well it's also and
2: very compelling it's not a simple yeah um, it's not, simple. not a simple thing to do
0: and it contains all the lyrics so one of the things mm-hmm. that's wrong with rock and roll is you often don't know what's being sung but in this case you watch the video you know exactly what's being sung because it's contained in, in the video but anyway I'm, so i'm a big fan of what this guy is doing it's cutting edge in a number of different ways musically it's great it's so poignant and and uh, timely and his interaction between The music and the video stuff is also, you know, it's like, you know, an opera has, um, you know, the score and the libretto, and the point is, it's not really complete without both things. So this this is sort of like that, but
1: uh, often, almost always, with the opera created by different people, which is which has always seems strange to me, um, because in the kind of music you're talking about here, it's almost always the same same people,
0: yeah, or at least it should be because yeah. the the artist who you know who wrote the thing also knows what it's supposed to mean and therefore right. um, creates the visuals. but anyway so I'm really appreciative of the fact that um, how shall I describe it Goliath the force that opposes all meaningful change has made a terrible terrible error Goliath has taken every talented, courageous, insightful person, and it has shoved them out the door simultaneously. It's put them all on the same team. And that team faces significant disadvantages, right? It doesn't have the equipment. certainly doesn't have the institutions, right? It's, it's at a disadvantage, but it's got all the best people. And guess what? It's got the musicians. There aren't very many at the moment that you would want to listen to because... Of the collapse of you know the music industry turns out to be just a business, and all of the people who pretend to be rebels aren't, right? So that's tragic. On the other hand, the people who are actually now pushing music forward are on our team, right? That's pretty cool. And so I would point to, um, you know, not only Brad of Five Times August, but. I became aware of uh, Francis Aaron and his, uh, I pointed you to it, you don't recognize the name, but um, his song, uh, which is in a genre I don't typically like, um, uh, about humans aren't clownfish. I think the song might just be called Clownfish. Anyway, it also does the same thing where the video makes it really clear what's being sung about.
1: I feel like you did this thing that people usually do in like sophomore year of college, where they're like, "I just, I'm just gonna listen to this on repeat like 300 times because <laughs> I need." Like, right, <laughs> I but it was just so
0: necessary to hear somebody, you know, who's obviously it's it's a great song. It's a it's great true. song. It's it's done. Uh, the genre is hip hop, and but it's like so intellectually incisive about the gender stuff. And I would point out that just the cherry on top. Is that the, so? The song takes place where you know, I guess Aaron uh, Francis Aaron is describing how crazy the situation is, but he's got a kind of a dumb shit who keeps asking who questions, right? Uh, when you know, what about clownfish? Right, exactly. Um, and but Francis Aaron resists the obligation to explain why it matters that human beings aren't clownfish. The point is, look. That's all I need to say, right? Clownfish is not an argument because we aren't them is, you know, more than actually needs to be said already. So anyway, I greatly appreciate that there are a group of artists who are, as Zach says, very high quality in their own right and also on our team. And that's not a surprise because, of course... You know, the people who are really thinking for themselves would end up on our team. And they'd also be the people pushing music forward at a time when it has become a uh, boring corporate and all of that. Um, so anyway, that's really cool. Now, before I move on to the next little piece of this, um, something I forgot to say to Brad when I interviewed him. I didn't interview him. I don't interview anybody when I talk to him. Um really. <laughs> I don't know that I, I don't know that I grilled him, but um, anyway, a, a connection I forgot. Oh, some
1: to, of the guests leave with those black lines. I was wondering where they got those.
0: The grill marks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just that good. Um, but anyway, I noticed something else. A connection, which was um, a Walter Kern tweet. Now, Walter Kern is not a an artist. He's a writer. Um, somebody that I quite like and that you are now working with uh, on uh, Country Highway. County, County Highway. Hi- sorry. I'm sorry, Walter. County highway. Um, County highway, which is America's only newspaper. Is that right? right? Yeah. Yep. America, it's quite cool. It's awesome. I really like it. I don't have um, a
1: copy right here. I'll break it out. Yep.
0: But uh, will you put up that tweet of Walter Kearns that I sent you?
1: You did not me
2: a tweet by Walter Kearns.
0: I didn't? Yes, I did. So I, there's a tweet
2: that you sent me, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. With the video, the video after. Yeah. But, but so it's like,
0: possible that I've sent Zach the wrong tweet. I, I was I had my attention, or maybe Heather will turn this. Pull this I out. don't know what you're talking about, so but if I. If you go to Walter, Walter Kern's Kern tweet, you search so. for uh, Rock. So just I have to, it for the video
2: and everything
0: from. So hold on, I just want to show Walter Kern's tweet. He, he, he deserves credit here.
1: So I, have, I can't. Do what, you want me to search for Rock within Walter Kern? Yes. I got to go into a different site then because you can't just do that. from.
0: Um, So anyway, Walter Kern was pointing to an event that also caught me off guard, but he summed it up quite accurately. The event was the uh, inauguration of a State Department initiative where they were going to basically use – hold on let's scroll this? down no scroll. he's scroll, done a scroll, lot of scroll, things scroll, rocks scroll, scroll. there it is there
1: which one this <laughs> that one yeah <laughs>
0: okay. okay so show heather's screen here okay can you zoom in a little bit so um this is secretary anthony Billenkin.
1: Blinken. blinken
0: oh, a blinken thank you um and what this is, is an event where they are launching um, an initiative to combine music and diplomacy. Effectively, they are going to um, use music to enhance their propaganda efforts. And now, if you watch this video, Zach, you want to play, uh, want to play 30 that? seconds of it? Yeah. Uh, okay, ready? Yeah. And if this doesn't clear the house, I don't know what. Do. <laughs> no, nope. keep going. So, so the, the great muddy waters and Woman told my mother before I was born. Gonna be a man-child outcome. Gonna be son of the gun. Gonna make pretty women's jump and shine. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, um we can't hear it when Zach plays it, but what they what you guys heard it, and you can tell this is a very musically competent, right? This was high quality at the level of production values. Um, but soulless because these are dudes at the State Department in suits playing the blues. They didn't pay their fucking dues, right? That's the rule, actually. Right? If you want to pay play the blues, you you have to pay your dues. That's that's the relationship between those things. And so Walter Kern's tweet, I thought, nailed this.
1: He said, end of the rock era. He said, said? uh official
0: end of the rock rock and roll era Walter Kern is declaring rock and roll dead on the basis of this despicable event um and he's right of course he's Walter Kern after all it's one of the things he does um Walter's very
1: insightful. He absolutely is. I just, I recently begun, been thinking again about the appeal to authority fallacy. And it's a fallacy, um, not just because most of our 30s turn out to be idiots, but because even actually knowledgeable people can be wrong.
0: This isn't appeal to authority. This is appeal to track record. Um, So anyway, (laughs) Walter declares rock and roll uh, dead on the basis of this, which I think is absolutely accurate, which is also completely concordant with, uh, Brad of five times August, uh, calling out the entire, uh, history of rock and roll on the basis that they were obviously lying because if they weren't lying, they would have shown up to fight the man and they didn't. Um, so anyway, I think that confluence of stuff is interesting and I'm grateful for people like Walter, uh, who deliver the insight at just the right moment i'm grateful to these artists who are um uh, creating you know they're they're wielding one of the two best weapons that we've got right music is a very powerful weapon for galvanizing people and uh, and it, it needs to be there um and then i guess lastly i would just also say that the you know we also have Bob Moran who's put together some brilliant cartoons that have made Mm -hmm. these, you know, infuriating claims by uh, the powerful has called them out in ways that are just um, incredibly incisive. And then we've got comedians like uh, Jimmy Dore and um, Dave Smith, who have also done an excellent job of calling out the nonsense um, that we've been facing. So anyway, I guess what I'm really saying is times are rough. But um, if you're paying attention, if you're on the right side of these issues, if you're standing up and you're feeling um, isolated by the fact that, you know, there has been a zombification of a huge fraction of the population uh, on issue after issue, then it's kind of marvelous to discover that you're actually on a team with all of the most uh, clever musically incisive funny um, you know gifted people that's a good place to be and it you know would you want to be anywhere else I don't think so right that's the team you want to be on and frankly as much as we're outgunned I kind of like our
1: odds I hope you're right
0: I mean I better be
1: <laughs> all right I think that's a good place to finish then all right um good uh we will be back in 15 minutes or so with a short q a because we've gone very long uh and then we'll be back in a week uh a week i think yeah a week uh and uh in the meantime you can find us on locals oh we'll be doing a private q a this sunday um, at 11 a.m. Pacific on Locals, and right now the question asking period for, for that uh, private Q&A is open. We've got our store, which uh, uh, Zach showed us some stuff from earlier, including blueberries uh, because oxidants happen. Because
0: oxidants happen. Yeah,
1: that's great. Um, check out Natural Selections at uh, at my substack, NaturalSelections.substack.com. Um, lots of other good places to find us but um, our sponsors this week Biome, Sundays and MD Hearing are all worth finding if you have teeth, a dog or um, hearing problems
0: uh, or a dog with teeth because
1: well, alright we covered that up top I feel like we did, yes. that's probably why we went so long we <laughs> spent all this time on like the union between dentifrice and dog kibble um, we are supported by you we are grateful to you. We thank you very, very, very much. Uh, we hear from, uh, many of you and, uh, we are grateful for those, for those words as well. Um, please subscribe, like, share, come over to our Rumble channel, come over to our locals. And, um, until we see you next time, be good to the ones you love, eat good food and get outside.
0: Be well, everyone.